All right, good morning. My name is Evan Staley. We've been coming here for a little while. Thank you, thank you. Um, I usually sit back there and I have a baby. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna read the scripture for this morning, uh, picking up in Ephesians 4 and on verse 17. So here we go. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's the word of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Evan. All right. Good morning. Uh, My name is James. For those of you joining us for the first time, either here or online, it's a joy to have you guys with us. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in a series right now in Ephesians that we've been going through for the last few months. And this week is part two, uh, following up from last week, where we're looking at putting off the old self out of Ephesians chapter four, and then putting on the new. So... The Ephesians were told, as you looked at last week, in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19, uh, they, were, they were told about, or Paul reminded them of this old life, a life of futility, a life that of a hardened heart, where they, they were grown numb through, uh, through the deceitfulness of lust, as Paul described it. And they got this hardness of heart that led to ignorance, that led to a futility, that led to separation from God. And Paul was telling them they need to put off the old self. They need to die to the old self that's there. And They need to put on this new clothing. And there's many illustrations used in Scripture to describe kind of the idea of dying to the old, whether it be die to the old life, put off the old. And here it's that idea of clothing. He's using an imagery of take this old, worn clothing from the old life that's disgusting and filthy, take off that old clothing, and now put on new clothing. Don't sit naked now, but put on this new clothing. And this illustration in some ways illustrates baptism. And the idea of baptism uh, is something that one of the commands that Jesus gives to all Christians, that we all be baptized, which is this idea that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but then we go under the water. And as we go under the water, that's that putting off of the old self. It's the dying to the old. And it's that picture of of dying with Christ and going into the water and, and releasing that old life completely setting it down and as we come up again that picture is we put back on the new we are raised with christ to new life in the new self and there's a great illustration of baptism of this idea of putting off the old that i love that comes back from the time of the crusades of the templar knights or the knights templar and back during that time when the knights templar were getting ready to go out they would baptize them but they would baptize them with their sword and it was done in a very weird way when they would baptize them with a sword those were going off to they knew they were going off to create great violence maybe in the name of God in some twisted, sick way, but they knew that it wasn't necessarily approved, and so as they were baptized, with their sword, they would keep their hand out of the water, and they would go under to be baptized, remaining with their hand above the water line, with the sword in it, saying, you know what, all of this I give to you, but not this, right? I'll consecrate all of this, but not this. You can't have this, Lord, because I need this to go do great violence, and I know that you don't approve of what I'm going to do with this hand. And so they would go under the water, but leave this part above. And that illustration of putting off the old, but in that case, all of it but this one thing. I'm not willing to put that off. I mean, what a challenging illustration, because, I mean, praise God, we don't do that today in any way, right? Um, I mean, if we did that today, what would that look like? What would be in our hand? For most of us, it would probably be a smartphone, right? 
We had something above the water, it'd be a smartphone. It'd be like, I'll give all of it, but not what I get here because I, I need this, right? And I need it to, to, to feed me directly to my soul the things that I feel I most desire. Or maybe we'd be holding up a wine glass or a bottle of beer. Maybe we hold up a wallet regarding our money. Maybe it's our anger. Maybe it's our lust. Maybe it's a, an inappropriate relationship. Whatever those, those certain things we say, Lord, I give it all to you, but not this. I'll put it all off. Well, most of it, because I consecrate most of my life to you. And, and that's how many people live. We hold on to the things we think bring us life. Because why won't we do it? Because we think that thing brings us life. Whether it be the shows we watch, the, the Netflix playlist that we have, whether it be the, the, the relationships that we're in that are unhealthy, we think those things bring us life. Maybe it has to do with, we think that when we drink excessively, that's how we have fun. It's the only way we can relax or deal with our pain. And, and I, I can't give that up because then I wouldn't be able to enjoy my friendships if I, if I don't get drunk. Or we follow the ways of the world and letting our identity be determined by our sexual preferences or our sexual brokenness. And I'm not going to give that up because that's who I am. And to lose that would be losing my identity. Or maybe we won't give up our unho- unhealthy coping mechanisms. Because like, how would I get by? I mean, that's how I survive is through pornography or alcohol or anger or masturbation or shopping, all is a necessity of life. And I can't envision a life where I don't have these things because that's how I survive and get by. So why would I give up those things? Not recognizing they actually take from us the freedom we so deeply desire. And in this passage, Paul is going to say that they, they need to see that Christ has called us to experience freedom in all of things. He wants us to put off the entire old life, take off all those old clothes that are holding us back, not just some of it, not just putting off the old life and, and not just trying to strive and to say, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, and, but to actually put on the new, put off the old and on the new. It's, it's one continuous thing. We can't do one without the other and be renewed by the Spirit. As we spoke about last week, so often Christians are, can get really focused on putting off the old. Right? The focus on the negative, that we don't even get around oftentimes to putting on the new is described here. And many churches, many Christians have grown up in communities where it was just the focus was just put off the old. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Avoid sin, avoid sin, avoid sin. And it leads to an exhausting legalism. One where the entire focus is on trying not to do stuff that we're attracted to. For many, Christianity can be summed up as just trying really hard not to sin. And the focus and energy, again, is on the putting off of and, and getting all those clothes off. But they just keep coming back. Over and over again, they just keep coming back. I mean, has any of you guys struggled with that in your life, with just these sins that just keep coming back again and again and again? I love it. The, the, the scholar, Dr. Klein Snodgrass, he says, in that image of baptism, you know, where we go under the water, we die to the old, and we, we leave those things buried in the water. He says, the problem with that, he says, is those rascals can swim, right? And they keep swimming back again and again and again. And trying to like reattach ourselves, I think like uh, Dr. Strange's coat of like coming back and zipping back to no matter what they do to try and get rid of it. But a life consumed with just putting off will lead not just to failure but to exhaustion. Because we're never good enough. We can never do it all on our own. Every time you smash one down, it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. It's just, it pops up somewhere else, almost mocking you in the way. And for some of us, we've lived in this life of exhaustion that just leads to, to heartache in fact, I have a dear friend that, that literally almost ended his life over this. We talk about ways to lead to life and death. It almost literally led to death. A dear friend of mine grew up in a legalistic church where the focus was always on stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. 
By the time he reached high school and was driving, he was so exhausted of feeling he'll never measure up. He'll never, these sins just coming back again and again and again and again and again. It was so sticky. Every time he tries to throw it off, it just stays tucked to his hand or goes off for a second and comes back. They showed that one day he was coming back from church. He just felt worthless. He felt he can't do this anymore. He was in tears, and he said he moved to the center lane, then far to the left lane. He saw the concrete pylon heading, a pylon in the center of the road in front of him, and he drove at it full force right to the, chy- the center pylon, saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. He describes how at the very last second, he almost nicked the edge of the pylon. He, he turned the car to the side. He turned to the side. He pulled off on the side of the road and just collapsed in tears to say, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. A life of putting off the old, in that case, almost literally led to his death. So this passage that Paul is speaking about, when he speaks about the old self and, and the despair and the darkness that's part of that life, from chapter 2 when he describes, and again in chapter 4, a life lived in ignorance that leads to separation from God and futility. He says we must put off that old life. It's not who we are. And he says, you must put on the new. And so in verse 20, he puts it this way. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. We mentioned this last week, but he says, this way of futility, this way of darkness, that's not the way you learned Jesus. And again, the emphasis, he says, is he doesn't say that's not how you learned about Jesus. He says, that's not, that's not how you learned the person Jesus, not just about him. It's, it's not that we study ideas about Jesus, or we're not supposed to be studying ideas about him, or theology about him, or ideas about him. But he says that's not how you learn the actual person, Jesus. Christianity is not about believing the right things about Jesus. But it's an assumption that Paul makes here that they have a relationship with the person, Jesus, and they're learning from him. Because Christianity is not about moral rule keeping. It's not about avoiding sin. It's not about trying to know the best doctrine or, or, or even knowing the best stuff about Jesus. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about knowing Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. Jesus says this in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that, you may know, that, that they may know you, the only true God, and the only one you have sent, or the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's what life is. It's in knowing Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. It's in relationship with him. Paul is telling the Ephesians that the the person of Jesus showed you what this life looks like. He demonstrated for you, but you're running in a different direction. Christ has drawn you into relationship with himself. He's given you a new identity. He's made you a, a new creation. And so watch him and learn from him and experience his life and live out that life. Paul uses very similar language to the Philippians when he writes to them in chapter 4. First, it starts with this famous passage where he says the things they're supposed to think about. Chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what you're supposed to be thinking about. And then he says, here's how. He refers to himself. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, this is Paul saying it to the Philippians, or seen in me, put that into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul is saying the same thing about himself here in the Philippians. He's saying, watch from me as a person. Look how I live my life. I'm demonstrating for you the life we are to live and what a life of freedom looks like. Watch me, look how I do this, and then go live accordingly. And that's the exact same thing he's doing in Ephesians, only now it's saying, that is not how you learn Jesus. You're supposed to learn from the person Jesus. That's what life looks like. Jesus did not come just to save us from our sin. He came to demonstrate the kind of life he created humanity to live. The kind of what freedom really looks like. 
And too often Christians see God as some distant blimp that's way out there, that's unreachable. That all we can do is throw prayers to him from a distance. But the reality is that he came near. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. We don't have to wonder what God is like. It's amazing. He showed us in the person of Jesus. Just like Paul told the Philippians that they're to put into practice whatever they see in his life. He's saying the same is true with Jesus. We are to put into practice what we see in Jesus' life. Live and love like him. Increasingly become like him. The Bible is not written again so we can just have bolted down theology. So we can have all the right answers. But yes, for us to know what God is like and know what he, what, who we are. But it's so that we can be in relationship with him and become like him. He's calling us to that relationship. And yet so often in Christianity, we get it so mixed up. We, we replace things. There's so many you know, incredible theologians today who look nothing like Jesus. None of his life and none of his love. There's so many famous pastors and teachers and, and leaders in the church. You find them all over YouTube and other places who have all the best answers and, and maybe they even do a great job avoiding sin. But they look nothing like Jesus. They don't exemplify any of his life and any of his love to the world around them. You know, the early church had a fraction of the theology that we have today available to us. They were focused on what does it mean to live in love like Jesus, experience his life. They watched him and said, let's do that. James, Peter, and John would just be dumbfounded at what they see in modern seminary courses today. I mean, I've done seminary. It's great stuff. I love it. But they'd be amazed at what we're teaching. They'd be like, I never heard that before. If the Apostle John was sitting in some of our classes or in some of our churches today, I think he'd at some point just raise his hand and say, can, can we just try and live in love like Jesus? You know, watch him do the stuff he did. Can we, can we just boil it down to actually just do the stuff he said? I think you're making it a little overcomplicated today. And so Paul tells them in the next verse that they're to put off that old self. Put off that old clothing. In verse 22 he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. That old self is corrupt through the deceitful desires. That He says, this is not who you are anymore. So put it off. That clothing, it's not your current identity. You have a new identity. So in verse 23 he says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put in the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So don't only put off the old, but renewed in the spirit and put on the new self. And so this is the crux that we've been heading towards, that we don't just put off, but we must be renewed in our mind and put on the new self of becoming like Christ in our new identity. And it's not a one-time act. Paul, even though the language here is past tense, he's emphasizing that it's something we do daily again and again and again. I love the ancient reformer Martin Luther about this. He says that we must daily return to our baptism. Meaning that Every day we must yet again die to self, die to the old life, and put on the new again. It's not just something we did once when we're baptized or once when we accepted Christ, but it's a a daily reality of a rhythm of dying to the old and living to the new, but it can't just be one of them. We see that that Paul gives examples of that in the next verse, which we'll be talking about next week, but just to preview that, in verse 25 he says this, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Notice that, put off the falsehood of the old life and then put on speaking truthfully, right? The opposite's there. Next verse, verse 20, let's do 28. If you are a thief and quit stealing, or quit stealing, instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. So put off, the thief must put off stealing and then they must put on generosity and hard work and moving in the opposite way of ways that bring life. 
You see the pattern here, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language, right? So don't do that. So put that off. But now, don't just do that. But next he's going to say, instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Put on an encouragement way of life. Or verse 31, get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, and harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Put those things off, yes, but don't just say no. Instead, put on, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That's a pattern of Paul through all of this. Put off the rage and anger and harsh words. Put on kindness and joy in pursuing others. And these are all things that the Ephesians must do on a daily basis. It's a continual thing. They must continue to be doing this. And not just avoid old patterns, but put on the new. And before get, Paul gets to this section of the do's and the don'ts, starting there in verse 24 and beyond, or 25 and beyond, and kind of going to the end, he starts where we're at today and he talks about their identity. So he talks about their identity before he gets to their behavior, about who they are. And the word he uses here for put off the old self, the new self, isn't a word for behavior. It's actually the word for a human. It means for yourself. So he's saying literally not put off the behaviors. He's saying put off your old self. Put off your old humanity. Put on the new self, your new identity, your new humanity. This is who you are and who you're called to be. The new corrupt person that Christ has created in you. And a new identity must lead to a new behaviors in ways that are bring life and beauty. And again, the goal, again, I'm going to keep saying this, is not to be absent of sin. Right? The goal of here of Paul is not to get them to remove all sin from their life. That may be a byproduct. But it's not, the goal is not to stop looking at porn. The goal is not to stop drinking and getting drunk. The goal is not to get rid of every disordered desire. That only brings you to zero. Remove all of that stuff and you're at zero. That's not what he's looking for. He wants them to experience life in Christ. Not just not sin. And it's in direct contrast to the life that so many Christians live today and the way so many Christians grew up in the church. And Christians so often go to one of the extremes of either focusing on putting off the old or putting on the new. And the putting off camp, as we talked about, is where things, again, focus on the negative. Things we need to stop doing. So avoiding sin. So don't look at porn. Make sure you got 20 people on your accountability list of everyone that's checking up on you every day. Don't watch that movie. Don't take that drink. Don't steal. For me growing up, it was don't listen to Guns N' Roses, right? Or eventually, my parents took away my Michael W. Smith Rockatown tape because that was too hardcore, right? Don't listen to those things. You can't listen to that. It's, it's, it's messed up, right? Now, now not, those things aren't bad things. Well, maybe except for Michael W. Smith. I mean, that's pretty hardcore. You don't want, don't want, don't want kids getting into that. Sorry, Mom. Um, she lets me now. Now I can listen to Michael W. Smith. Um, but Tim Keller, asked, asked this question, Tim Keller asked this question in relation to chapter 4, verse 28, about the thief. And he says this. He said, when is a thief no longer a thief? And I love that question. When is the thief no longer a thief? Most of us would say when he stops stealing. And Paul would say, no. A thief who stops stealing is simply a thief in between jobs. Right? He's still a thief, still his identity. He's just said no to stealing right there and then. He's a thief in between jobs. That's not what Paul is saying here. A person who's addicted to pornography or addicted to the approval of other people, who says no for a few days, is still addicted to those things. It's still what they're living in. They're just, they're just saying no right now with great intensity. Imagine that thief. You know, I spent years working with uh, gangsters and criminals in South Africa. And 
I, I was working with guys that were in prison all the time for stealing. We'd break in the house. It's, they used to call my neighborhood their ATM. They said, every time we need money, we just go to your neighborhood, jump over a fence, get whatever we need, we get cash for drugs. I mean, that was my house. One time, we invited them into our house to, to get barbecue, and they're like, we know this whole neighborhood. <laughs> like, we were in and out of these places all the time. We know that's there, and that's there, and that's there. They could tell you everything, because they're in and out of our neighborhood so much stealing stuff. And when they would get arrested, they always would, they would go before a judge, and oftentimes the judge would try to scare them. And they'd say, what are you doing? I will release you. But do you realize that if you don't stop doing this, you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life? And they're trying to scare him. What do you think you're doing? You've got to change your life. You can't do this. It's worthless. Why are you doing this? One of, my, one of the guys I was working at got beat, beaten bloody and blue by, uh, by the police officers that were there. They're just kicking him in the face again and again and again and again, saying, do not do this. The next time you come in here, we will kill you. And he was scared straight for a little while. But you know what happened after a little while? Went back and did it again. Right? He, he was a thief in between jobs for a little while. They were only putting off that old clothing for a short period of time. And to follow Paul's admonition, Paul says in verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. They must not just put off stealing, but put on generosity and a new life in Christ. They need to get a new identity. They need to live a new life. They need to replace the disordered ways with something that leads to life and beauty. They need to put off, or sorry, when we only put off without putting on, we're just going to keep going down that same path again of exhaustion. Whatever it is for us, stealing or adultery or anger, or violence or pornography or drinking or gossip or addicted to listening to those hardcore Michael W. Smith tapes, whatever those things are, we're just going to keep going down that same path again and again if all we do is put off. And that's the life for so many Christians. Oftentimes, we just become a thief in between jobs. What Paul is getting at is we actually need to not just put on the new, but we need to be renewed in our minds. And we need to train in ways that change our lives. Dr. Keller compares this to clearing away overgrown weeds and brush. If you can do a great job of clearing out an area, my parents are there's this huge area of just all these overgrown weeds that we went with, weed whackers and everything, cleared the whole thing out, and it looks really nice. But what happens next season? It's worse than when you started with, right? Because you didn't put anything in its place. In fact, Jesus tells us a crazy story about this in the, in the book of Luke, in chapter 11, this story that people often don't know what to do with. And Jesus says this, chapter 11, verse 24 of Luke, he says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So the demon returns and finds that its former home is all swept up in an order. It's all nice and clean. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there, and that person is worse than before. What the heck? Jesus says there's this demon that comes that's within someone, and it gets cast out, which is great news, and then the person goes and tries to live an upright life. They clean it up, he says. It's, it's nice and clean and looking really good. They're doing really good. And then the demon comes back. He goes, wait a second. That's a better house than when I left. And he goes and grabs a bunch of buddies, and they come back, and it's worse than ever before. Jesus is literally saying it is more dangerous to put off the old with, and not put on the new than just to remain in the old. Because the house was left empty. They put off without putting on. There's no new life. There's no new affection. There's no new identity. It's just keep trying to put off the old again and again. And we see this even true outside of Christianity. If you talk to a, a young boy and you tell them as they're crying, you say, don't cry. Men don't cry. Be a man. 
You make them hold into their emotion. Don't express that kind of emotion. What's going to happen over time? You just tell them to put off that without adding something positive in which they learn better ways. They're going to grow up angry and, and, shame, and full of shame and bitter, likely to violence and deep, deep, deep kinds of pain. Putting off is not enough. In fact, it can be deadly if we're just putting off. On the other hand, it can also be deadly if all we do is just put on without putting off. And that seems to be something that's kind of in these days and, and, and any, even in Christian, soul, Christian circles. Many Christians are t- scared to tell people to repent. They don't want to be one of those fire and brimstone Christians or something. And so we just don't want to mention the fact that Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and pick up our own cross. We don't want to actually encourage people to address the brokenness in their hearts because we just want them to feel the love of Jesus. And so people will just keep speaking how much Jesus loves them without a mention of the surrender necessary to experience the life they're speaking of. Or the impact that the sin continues to have in bringing them into bondage. And as a result, much of the body of Christ looks no different than the world. Completely conformed to the world because all we've done is put on Jesus on top of all those old nasty clothes. In so many corners. Trying to wear two coats at once, looking ridiculous. And it doesn't work. Jesus has called us to become like him. To no longer be conformed by this world. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we should look like him. The more our lives should reflect him. Yet many of those who consider themselves Christians, they're kind of more just like moral deists. Right? They like the ideas, they kind of pick and choose like at a buffet, some of the nice stuff that Jesus said. Reminds me of the old uh, Bible that was done by Thomas, and Thomas Jefferson. He, he took the Bible and he cut out all the pages and all, and all the verse references that had anything to do with the Holy Spirit or miracles. He didn't believe in that stuff. And he created a new Bible, literally called the Thomas Jefferson Bible, the life and morals of Je- the teachings of Jesus. I got a copy of it upstairs. Removing everything about the Holy Spirit, miracles, or anything that he didn't like. And he goes, here's the Bible I like. It's just all the nice things that Jesus says in the moral teachings. And we can laugh at that, but it's what we as Christians do all the time. And many Christians would just say, you know, Jesus accepts me for who I am. I don't need to consider my brokenness. I mean, he just likes me the way I am. I don't need to change. I don't need to surrender any of my brokenness or my sexual identity or any of that stuff that I'm dealing with, my disordered desires. I don't need to put off the old. I can just keep these old comfy clothes and just add Jesus right on top of it. As though we are God and Jesus is worshiping us. And if we only put off if we don't put off the old and only put on the new, we also get really funky. And I can understand why that's popular. But it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus wants us to experience freedom, and we can't do that when we're wearing all this extra clothing. We can't do it when we're only putting off the old and standing there naked and vulnerable and susceptible. It only happens when we obey the biblical way, which is put off the old, be renewed in the mind of the Spirit, and put on the new. Jesus wants us to experience that freedom. And so that's the piece that's in between these, between the putting off the old and the putting off the new. We see in verse 22, Paul says, to put off your old self, and 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So he says that to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, that that's an ongoing process they must engage in. That it's central, becoming a new person isn't just the effort that we put in, but it's actually into just putting off and putting on, but it must be this renewal process the Holy Spirit leads of renewing our minds. He puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, same language, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul says the new self is being renewed to become more like their creator, to becoming more like Jesus. We must renew, be renewed by the Holy Spirit. 
And if we want this to live out this new identity, we must continually allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to regenerate us, to change our old ways into his ways, for his thoughts to increasingly become our thoughts and his ways to increasingly become ours. And the primary way we do this, I'm going to say it again and again, is spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. There is no substitute for that. You cannot expect to become like Jesus if you're not spending time with him. In, in, in prayer and in his word. It says a renewal of the mind. It's not just uh, to, to do different stuff of actions, but it's, we must actually change the way we think. We must be renewed and allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in us through time spent with Jesus. So one, we, we must be spending time in the word and in prayer. But we also, to be renewed in the mind, we must be in a community of people going in the same direction. It cannot be done outside of relationship in a body. So to see this happen, we must spend time with Jesus and spend time with people who are on the same journey with him, with his body. We must be in community, journeying together. There is no biblical understanding of solo Christianity, as Paul says over and over again in this letter. And we also must be renewed by creating new healthy patterns that take the place of the old ones. We must train in doing that. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we not conform to this world? He says we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We must begin to think different thoughts. We must begin to see things differently, to, to walk in the ways of Jesus and, and have our minds be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's not just going to happen on its own. It's something we must train for. John Ortberg, who's a disciple of Dallas Willard, who obviously I quote a lot, I love a quote that he says, he, I think I've used this before, but he says there's an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. And the putting off really just becomes trying again and again and again. Trying to put off, trying to put off. And it leads to exhaustion. Always feeling like a failure. Always feeling like you can't live up. And just putting off is never going to lead to great fruit because it always comes back. But instead, he says, we must put on new healthy patterns that, that are healthy disciplines or habits that transform the way we think and live within our life. Not tra- trying, but training. I've used this illustration before, but imagine if my buddy who loves running marathons, he's crazy, just for fun, like just a fun thing he does regularly almost every week, runs a marathon. Imagine if he came today and he said, James, after church we got a marathon going on, and if you run with me at a, at a sub-four-hour pace of nine minutes a mile, I will give you a million dollars, right? Would I have motivation? Definitely. We just moved here a couple years ago. That's about what a house costs around here, which is just insane to say. Um, that's just nuts, right? We might be able to afford a house if we could do that. And so I'm like, yes, I have motivation. I would love to provide that, right? So I have all the motivation in the world for a million dollars. And we said, let's do it. And we start running. Maybe I get half a mile at that pace of a nine-minute mile. Maybe. Before I start puking my guts out. Right? I could keep trying, but it's not going to push me any faster. All the trying in the world isn't going to allow me to do what I cannot do on my own. This became abundantly clear for me a few years ago when I was in South Africa leading a Bible school. And we had a bunch of young students. And one day we took them for a barbecue at a reservoir where there was a dam, this huge kind of lake thing. And while we were there, we were walking around it with some of the guys. And it's quite far across. And, and I started talking to the guys. I said, hey, let's swim across. We were on this dam. Let's swim the rest of the way. They're like, I don't know, this kind of far. I'm like, no, guys, you can do it. They're half my age. They're all fit. I'm like, I can do this. You guys can do this. Let's do it. So they all jumped in the water. And we start swimming across. About halfway the way across, I realized it hasn't been since like high school Boy Scout camp that I actually swam across the lake before. Like this is not really what I'm built for right now. And uh, I realized my body was giving out. And so I had to turn on my back and start floating. My arms were getting tired. My legs were tired. I was exhausted. And the rest of them started swimming ahead. 
all of a sudden I started hearing some screaming. I look out about 20 feet in front of me is one of the students who was the most fit of all, who was flailing with his arms and crying out for help, gasping for air. And I look ahead of him, and it's at least 50 feet ahead is where the rest of the group was. He had become a laggard, and so I'm like, I need to go to him. So I began to try and move my arms, trying as hard as I could, and literally nothing happened. My arms wouldn't move, my legs wouldn't kick, my body was done. I've never had more desire for anything in my entire life than at that moment to swim to my student who was literally dying in the water 20 feet away from me. And I remember the, the helplessness I felt of trying with everything within me. And my arms would not move, my legs would not kick, all I could do was float. I felt like I was just limp sitting there in the water. Praise God, one of the other guys heard him, was farther, much further away, came back and got him as he was going under and coughing out water and swallowing water, and he didn't die, but almost, because of my stupidity, because I didn't have enough training. I was arrogant, and all the trying in the world would not help me in the moment. And as Christians, so often we just keep trying harder and harder and harder. And if we try in a moment of temptation, we're going to fail most of the time. If the training is not there, if the new habits are not there to replace the old, you're just going to keep going back down the same path again and again and again. That's why Paul says we must train. He says in 1 Corinthians, he puts it this way, chapter 9, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it to win an etern- for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, I'm not just fighting the air, but I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Paul says we don't just try to put off the old. We train to put on the new. So imagine with my buddy, if instead of me trying to run a marathon, he says, tell you what, we'll do it a year from now, and every single morning, I'm going to come to your house. At 5 a.m., every single morning, and every day, we're going to go out. And each week, we're going to add longer distance and faster speed. A year from now, if that becomes my focus, if I train for that, I'll be able to do then what I can't even conceive of doing right now. And the same is true in the ways of Jesus, of putting off the old and putting on the new, when we train and renew our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it takes consistency. It it can't just be random attempts. Again, if I just try in the moment, I'm going to fail more often than not. We have to train and intentionally move towards this new life that Christ has called us to. And so again, Paul is telling the Ephesians, they're not living up to the calling in their lives. They've been called as children of God to experience life in him. He wants them to know the freedom that comes in Christ. I think that illustration of me living in the water, you could say, man, I had the freedom to not swim practically and get in good shape. But the penalty for that wasn't freedom. It was almost death, literally, as a result. So they must put off the old and put on the new. And they must do both. It must be daily. Daily, to put off the old and put on their new identity. Daily, intentionally intentionally allowing the Holy Spirit to come and renew their minds and to help put healthy patterns in the place of the unhealthy ones. One of my favorite stories of St. Augustine back in the 300s was before Augustine was St. Augustine. He was just Aurelius Augustinus, right? No one knew about him. He was actually lived a pretty messed up life, and he was known as a a sex addict before he became St. Augustine. And he was regularly visiting prostitutes and brothels all over the place. And one day, a couple of years after he accepted Christ, he was visiting a town where he had seen the brothels regularly. And one of the prostitutes who he had gone to many times was there. And she saw him and she ran up to him and she started flirting with him. And now, Augustine did not respond to it. And in fact, to her flirtations request, he just walked the other way. And he tells the story that she was confused. And she says, what's going on? I mean, why isn't he pursuing me like he used to? And so she says, I have an idea. And she ran up and she said, Augustine. 
it is I. And Augustine turned around and looked her in the face. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. He says, I know, but it is not I. Do you get that? I am not that person anymore. The person you knew is no longer who I am. I am now a new creation. I have a new identity. You don't know this person. You only know that person from before. He had been transformed. And this is what the Paul, Paul is calling the Ephesians towards. Their new identity in Christ. To put on their new self, and it's what he's calling all of us towards. Regardless of what our struggle is. We're called to put on the new self. Daily being renewed in his image. 200 years ago, the, the great Scottish preacher, Thomas Chalmers, preached one of the most famous sermons ever preached. You can find it all over online. You can re-listen it. It's old-style language, but man, it's powerful. And the, the sermon title was called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Kind of funky language. But what he's saying there, the whole sermon is about the only way for us to actually deal with the sin in our lives and deal with the disordered desires is we need an expulsive power of a new affection that is so great that it pushes out the old because the new is so much greater. That we must have a greater joy, a greater life, a gr- something that, that, that draws us that's so beautiful that it literally pushes out the old dead life. That what we put on pushes out the old. A love that is greater than the sin, a joy and experience in Christ that is so great, is such a greater affection that the affections towards sin and the disordered desires are pushed right out of our lives. We need an expulsive power of a new affection, he says. Where new life pushes out the old. We're like in, the, in the, when the, the seasons turn and all the dead leaves start falling off the trees. Why does that happen? Because of the expulsive power of new life in the branches literally are pushing off the dead ones, of the dead leaves. The new life pushes out the old. He says that's what we as Christians need. We want to deal with it. There must be a greater affection. In fact, I love a provocative phrase that was given by Bernard Eller in this book called The Simple Life, written a number of years ago. Later on, this phrase was, was kind of taken by John uh, Piper and some others. They ran with it, but he says that we, there's a, we need a Christian kind of hedonism. Meaning that, and what he means by that is where there is such a joy and a pleasure found in Jesus, and the reality of who he is, and what he offers as we live in life with him, that it just pushes out whatever desires are from the old. It expels them. It, or it expels them. It, it is a, gr- a greater affection moves us towards them, moves us away from the things of the past. You know, when I was working with the gangsters and, the, and, and prostitutes and stuff for years, I had some people that really cared about me, and they knew when I've been open about sharing about my past and my sexual brokenness and the abuse and all the rest and the addiction to pornography and other things. And they said, James, are you not worried that by working with prostitutes and other stuff, you're going to go back and be tempted in your old ways of life? It's dangerous. I don't want to be arrogant, but what I told them at the time, and it was so true, and I was going to be completely honest in that time, and I said, I I recognize there's a temptation there, but the pleasure I get from working with these people and seeing their lives transformed by God, the pleasure I get from being the center of God's will and seeing God move in His pleasure in my life and experiencing Him, there literally is no affection for those old things right now. It's gone. There is a greater affection in my life. I didn't have that language for it, but that's what I was saying. There is a greater affection in my life than anything with what that old life offered. And on top of that, I got my wife, I got my boys that are a greater affection than anything I could ever be offered before. Now I had to be constantly aware of, of, of and, and aware of the potential to sin and my potential to, to fall down. 
But we are called to pursue a greater affection in Christ, a greater life and a greater joy. So what are you wrestling with today? What, where are you exhausted from fighting day after day? What is that thing that just keeps coming back again and again and again and again? And it feels like it's like a sticky booger on your finger and you can't flick it off, right? It's just always there. Where you feel more like a thief in between jobs than there is any freedom. The Lord wants you to experience his freedom. He wants for all of us to experience freedom in those areas. Jesus says he came so we could have abundant life in him. And that's not just wasting all of our energies trying to put off the old. And that means we have to train for this new life. It means we need to realign our lives in ways that have us directed towards a greater new affection in life. And ways of life that don't just say no to sin, but actively pursue a life in Christ. Where we don't just flee sexual immorality as we talked about last week, but we actually run to Jesus. Not flee that to run towards nothingness, but we run towards Jesus and experience his life. I love in 1 Corinthians, right before that passage we looked at before, in, in chapter 4, where it talks about whatever is lovely and all the rest of it. Or sorry, not that one, that was Philippians. Where it talks about in 1 Corinthians about training to be a, 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 towards, towards righteousness. He says right there, we must run to win. Don't just run from old sins, but run to win. Don't just try, run to win. Train. The only way that works is by training. Otherwise, we're not running to win. We're just trying. We're just making some random attempts. So therefore, we must be spending time with Jesus in prayer and in his word. There are no exceptions to that. It must be a regular way of allowing him to transform our minds and our hearts and not just reading as much scripture as we get, but spending time with Jesus, allowing him to meditate upon his words to allow him to renew our minds and our hearts and our lives. We also must, again, be spending time in community with other believers. Not only, we need to be in the world as well, but we must be journeying alongside of the believers to help us in the journey. And we must be seeking the Lord of what creative ways, what specific ways that bring new life does he have us to train into to expel the old? So I want us to move into a time of prayer and to ask the Lord what this looks like for us. Where are we allowing the old self to have free reign? Where are we thieves between jobs? Where, is the Lord, where are those things in our lives that are they're leading us, controlling us, and, and, and guiding us? Whether it's anger or speaking harshly or whatever it may be. And, and so let's say it is that. Let's say we're struggling with anger or speaking harshly or gossiping against someone else. Then we're going to pray in just a second. I want us to seek the Lord and say, Father, not just how do I stop doing that, but what do I need to put on? And not just put on Jesus generally, but what specific things do I need to train in that bring life, that expel with a greater affection of Christ, that old life of speaking harshly and anger and, and gossip, whatever it may be, your lies. And maybe it's, I need to train in being a person of encouragement, as Paul speaks of in 428. I need to train and actually replace the words of harshness with words of beauty. And every day, I need to make sure in intentional attempts to rewire my brain to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and speaking words of life over others instead of words of pain and brokenness. Maybe I need to make that a focus. Every day, like training for a marathon, I say, Lord, I want to be a person who breathes your words of life to the world. I intentionally train towards that under the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're wrestling with today. Take it to the Lord and say, Father, I don't want to just put off. I want to put on you and your beauty. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you. 
So worship, you can come up. And we're going to move into a, a time. I just want us to, to begin praying and asking the Lord as the music continues and as worship begins. Of, just ask him what that looks like in your life. Everyone's situation is different, regardless of whatever the brokenness is. So Jesus, we just come to you right now. And I lift us up before you, Lord. Your longing for us is to experience freedom in you. This isn't about beating ourselves up or whipping ourselves, saying I'm bad or I'm evil or I'm broken. And Why do I keep looking at porn or why do I keep going to drink? It's, it's not about you want us to experience life and freedom, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would help to reveal to us right now, this very moment, where are we a thief between jobs? Where are we just wrestling again and again with the same stuff over and over and over, Lord? Whether it's alcohol or immorality or lust or gossip or greed or lying, whatever it may be, Lord. And Holy Spirit, may you lead us towards what do we need to train in? What practical steps do we need to take daily? To not just put off the old, but to put on ways that lead to life, to a greater affection in you. So I just seek the Lord for that. What does that look like? And, and also, I, do, I just want to say this before we, we move into worship. If you're here and you're wrestling with some habitual habits and you're deeply weighed down and it's holding you back, remember again that Christ's love for you is not based upon your ability to say no to sin. Please remember this. If there's anyone here right now feeling condemnation or any degree of, of of, of self-hatred or shame as a result of this, you're missing the point that Jesus is saying because he met you in your sin and he still loves you right in that place of sin. That's not what our salvation is based upon, our ability to avoid sin. But he wants you to experience life in him, to not run around with six coats on all the time, but to walk in freedom, to not go naked by just putting off the old, but to walk in the freedom of the new life he's called us to live. So Jesus, right now speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, show us where we need to put off the old and put on the new and how we need to train. I'm going to take the next just 30 seconds, just sit in silence as we move towards worship. You've made us new. Our life begins in you, Jesus. Like Augustine, we can say to that old life, that is not I. For so many years, let's be honest, I, I lived in such brokenness. My life of pain coming out of the abuse of the garbage from the past. I saw myself as a pervert, as just broken, and pornography and garbage in my head that just did everything, Lord. It defined who I was. Because all I kept doing was trying to put off and put off and put off. But Lord, you've come not for us just to get to zero, not just for us to be naked, but Jesus, we could put on you a new life. We can say to the old, that's not who I am. But I'm a child of God. I am in freedom. And I have the freedom to love the freedom to live, to experience you, and to live and love the way you've called us to live, Jesus, because what you have done, as the song sings, what you have done, that you gave your life so we can experience life in you. 
Jesus, may you bring freedom here today. May you move in the hearts and minds of people here today. Lord, those that are wrestling in this place that say, who I am, I'm a pervert. I'm, I'm a thief. I'm forever stuck in the need for approval. I'm stuck in a, in a world of lust. I'm stuck in anger and violence and self-hatred, whatever it may be. That's who I am. My sexual brokenness defines my identity, whatever it may be, Lord. Speak right now, Holy Spirit. And call them out into freedom in you. Your grace is so free. It is so beautiful. Oh, we're going to go back through. I want to go back through that again. And sing that again. It's so powerful. But right now, before we do it, just take another couple seconds. And say, Jesus, if you're wrestling with this, Jesus, I want a greater affection in you. Just pray with me. Jesus, I want new life in you. I want a new identity in you, Lord. Even if you've been a Christian for years and you've been not been living out of it, Jesus, I want your life to flow through me. Holy Spirit, show us where we're living in the old and hold our hands to live in the new. Thank you. Just take a couple more seconds. Just sit with the Holy Spirit. I want us to go back through that again. Thank you, Father, for the freedom and life that is found in you. Father, may you empower us and even leave me in this place, Lord, to walk in the freedom of a new life in you. Whether we've lived in it for years or we're just restarting the journey, Lord. Or if we're not there, and may there be some here today that are not actively following you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower them. Meet their hearts even now, Jesus, to say yes to you, to experience life in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what a joy it is to be known by you, to be in relationship with you. In your name we pray.